0: What's going on? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It is heard live every day from noon to 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content like invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with all the links, become a patron, go to thepetecalendershow.com. Make sure you hit the subscribe button, get every episode for free, right to your smartphone or tablet. And again, thank you so much for your support. Uh, Let me do a couple of emails real quick on the last hour. So if you didn't catch the last hour, you can obviously get the podcast but um we're talking about project veritas uh as well as ukraine and uh what else did we talk about uh the january 6th videos coming out we we covered a lot so uh this is from tim regarding project veritas pete i tried looking up who sits on the board of project veritas i could not find any information i was wondering if anyone on the board of directors is also on pfizer's board of directors there you go possible i don't know no telling like i said i i i give you the information i have i i can't give you any kind of particular insight here i'm just watching from the outside i try to read up as much as i can on all these different stories and and kind of give you the high points um and look some people are going to do a lot more research on this stuff um like for example here we go this is scott uh pete you don't think it's possible that pfizer used their power and influence to take him down do you no couldn't be I mean, why would they want to? Eh, no, not possible. Let me adjust my tinfoil hat and get back to you on all of that. That is from Scott. Uh, and I think that is what O'Keefe was insinuating. Absolutely. Um, and then I got an email. Do, do, da, do, do. This is from David. Uh, hello, Pete. Brett Winterbull won't answer this. Please do. Ukrainian. Okay. Should be interesting. Ukrainian Nazis are huge in numbers in the military there. Okay, so right away, David, I would have to defer to you, because as I mentioned earlier when I was talking about Ukraine, I'm not a Ukrainian military expert. I, I don't know. I don't know. Is Do they have a lot of Nazis in their ranks? I, I mean, I know that, I know the Russians have been promoting that propaganda. Like, the first thing that dies in war is the truth, right? That's... That's always been the case. The, the, the information war is going on as well. So I don't know that to be true. Um, Biden said the American taxpayer is paying for their bloodlust and pensions. Why should we support any of this war for Ukraine? Well, I mean, I think there is an argument to be made against uh, nations invading other nations, nations that, are, that, that were recognized, right, as Ukraine was. I mean, if Canada invade, Okay, and let me start. That's uh, not believable. All right. If... Right, okay. If... Uh, well, I was going to say... All right. If the Mexican cartels were invading... Well, that's probably not a good, a good analogy either. All right. um, If China was sending over... No. That's probably not a good analogy either. Uh, all right. How about Luxembourg? If Luxembourg were to invade america would we have the right to defend ourselves and would we have the right to ask others to help us like-minded peoples right ostensibly um democratic governments and the like again i'm not making any kind of arguments here about uh ukrainian corruption or the lack thereof uh because i believe that it is corrupt i believe our government is corrupt i believe all governments are corrupt because they're made up of people and people are corruptible so um i don't I mean, I think you there is an argument to be made to support uh, a country against a foreign invasion, especially if the, the one doing the invading is one that we don't like a lot. Uh, so I, I understand that mutual defense and all of that. I also understand the other side of it, which has always been, you know, beware of foreign entanglements. Absolutely. So um, I don't like a lot of the stuff that happened with Ukraine, the way decisions got made and how it was all just kind of like, hey, we're doing this, you know. Um, I don't like being told to shut up when people do ask questions. I don't like that. I'm not telling anybody to shut up that raises questions. Again, I just don't know about the infiltration of Nazis into Ukrainian military. So I'm not an expert to be asked about that because I don't know. Uh, we are, we are both paying for Nazis. Please explain why people don't care about this fact. And isn't it disgusting? Well, again, you're, you're presuming to know something and you're presuming it to be true. And you're presuming that I also know this thing to be true as well. And I don't know that. And I'm not sure that you do, and I'm not so I'm not sure the premise holds. Um it seems like it's the problem with everything we pretend and obey or we stay silent and then get screwed. Love your show, David. Uh, I, yeah, I'm sorry, I don't think I don't think I can answer. I don't think I answered the question. But I tried. I tried. Um uh this is now from I don't know who this is. Uh DK. Uh Pete, please remind everybody. Of the media finally acknowledging that COVID survivors have just as good or better protection against severe illness if reinfected as the vaccinated. Joe Biden wasn't following the science and data when he excluded COVID survivors from his winter of death statement. Yes, that is true. And um, and I have that right here. Let's get into it. This is from NBC News. And I, by the way, if you ask me something, why are you reading NBC News? I read as many different outlets as I can because you got to know what. How do you know what your adversary is arguing if you never go to their media sources, right? These quote, uh, mainstream media or legacy corporate media outlets, or as Rush called it, I thought appropriately is the best name for them, the drive by media. You got to, you have to read it so you understand what is shaping their ideas and also. How the newsmakers and influencers on the left use those media outlets to shape the ideas that then are adopted by half of the American public, right? So NBC News is a pretty good, when it comes to this sort of stuff, is a pretty good source for me because it tells me what they're thinking. It tells me, oh, okay, you got sources inside government. They want a message put out. Here's how they do it. You are the conduit. Immunity acquired, this is from NBC, immunity acquired from a COVID infection provides strong, lasting protection against the most severe outcomes of the illness, according to research published Thursday in The Lancet. Right? So this is natural immunity. This is people who got sick from COVID, recovered, and now they've got durable, lasting protection for about a year, about 10 months to 12 months. This is just the latest study, by the way, that shows that. I remember covering this a year ago, where it looked like this was the case. Initial studies, but part of the problem was you don't know until you get farther out, or I should say further out. You don't know until you get further out how long the immunity lasts, right? And so this is sort of like the biggest study that they have done. Um, And what they found was that that durability of immunity is on par or better with what is provided through two doses of an mRNA vaccine. Sorry, Johnson & Johnson. I know a lot of people got the J&J shot because they were like, oh, I'm only going to get one. And, yeah, now it's like that one's not, <laughs> it didn't work out so well. The The other two, the Moderna and the Pfizer ones, those are the two-shot ones. So that's what I assume they're talking about here, the double uh, vaccine shots. Infection-acquired immunity cut the risk of hospitalization and death from a COVID reinfection by 88% for about 10 months. That's what the Lancet study found, right? Which makes sense because virus is virus. Again, I've been saying this for three years now. Viruses are going to virus. And this virus is behaving like all other viruses. It it mutates over time, becomes uh, more transmissible, and the severity lessens. Right. It's not as um, it's not as lethal. So if you got especially like the early onset, right, the initial first um, uh, covid cases. Right. If you got that, usually it was pretty bad, um, especially if you had a lot of comorbidities. Right. Uh, It it, it could be really bad for you. Uh, But if you survive, even if you have the long covid, right, your chances, what they're saying is your chances um, of hospitalization or death, if you get it again, is cut by 88%. So, that, I mean, that's good news. My view, again, from the very beginning has always been the way that go, this goes from pandemic to endemic, and that's the way it's going to go because, see my earlier statement about viruses virusing, and uh, it's it's herd immunity. That's how, that's how it turns endemic. You have to have enough people that have enough of a, a memory that their cells have the memory of the virus— that they can keep fighting when various other forms of the virus come at them, like the common cold, like the seasonal flu, right? That's what this is going to eventually look like when it's endemic, which I believe we're already there. I think we're already there, that it's endemic. But that means herd immunity. How you get there, right? People get sick, you got immunity. People get the, uh, the shot, you got immunity. That's the idea. Right. That's the idea, because what is, by the way, like I know people are pointing to this study and they're saying that, aha, see, the uh, natural immunity is better. And it is right to some degree. It's on par or better with the vaccines. But that doesn't negate the efficacy of the shots, does it? I mean, what is the study also finding that it's about the same? That you that you have the same chance of catching it again, but it not being as lethal the second time around. Or, if you got the shots, it not being as lethal either. So it seems to me like this is, like, like I think everybody could take the win on this, right? <laughs> I understand there's an I told you so component here. And that is true. Because there has been a population that has been saying natural immunity doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't come from being infected before. And those people, yeah, they've been wrong. But they, we knew they were wrong from the beginning, you know, guys like your uncle at the Thanksgiving or Fauci. Oh, I'm sorry, the science. Mark, welcome to the program. Hello, Mark. How are you?
1: Hey, good. Love me some Mario Speedway. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen. Uh, Ex Democrat, or uh, I don't. I don't believe these people that call themselves Democrats are what I thought they were way back when. But um, so that's where I'm coming from. And I just wanted to remind you, if you if you may not have remembered, when Jen Saki got up early early on in the pandemic, and they were talking about natural immunity, and here's this woman. And by the way, I have a PhD and I'm a biomedical researcher, right? Okay. And I'm not an infectious disease, but I know enough about it. When she said, she said, "Oh, and everybody knows that natural immunity is, um, you know, good for nothing, basically." And she said it in such a condescending way, like she was this world international authority, knew what she was talking about. And I said, this woman is crazy. Um, they can't make that statement. And, you know, sure enough. But does anybody on mainstream media, did, did they remember that and say, oh, by the way, Jim Succula? They, they lie so much you, don't even, you couldn't even have a 24-7 show.
0: Well, that's uh, being it's one of the benefits, one of the privileges, I might say, of uh, working in the drive by media. It's having to never say you're sorry for spraying uh, the the subjects, you know, when you drive past them and you uh, you unload the whole clip. You never have to apologize nope. for that. Even if you kill a whole bunch of innocents in the process, you gave yeah. people bad information in the process. It, it's OK because you're media, and you're onto the next target, you're onto the next story to inform "quote unquote" people about. It's like these people have no conscience, you know. Well, and so there are two ways, and I've thought this from the beginning. There's, uh, you know, two ways: whether you know ne- the nefarious route or the incompetent route. Um, right. But there's also this desire. Well, I shouldn't say there's also the bootlicker route, right? You could say there are people that are just thrown sniffers, and they're all about being close to power and that sort of thing. And I sure. guess part of that is that they were... Sycophants. Yeah, well, they were also... Yeah, sycophants, but they were also scared. Every you know The, the people... Are, one of the most illuminating pieces of research that I saw at the beginning of the pandemic uh, was about people's risk assessments. And I actually heard uh, last weekend, Bill Maher referenced uh, a, an updated study that found very much the same thing, and it is this perception of risk Republicans tend to underestimate the risk, mm-hmm. and Democrats tend to overestimate mm-hmm. the risk. Okay, exactly. when you when I learned that, and now I'm watching the press conferences, and I know that the people in the press, con- well, on the Zoom calls, right, When the, the people that get to ask, like, the governor questions, the people who are asking Psaki questions, are they of the political left or of the right? And the majority of them are of the left. So if you have people who have an overblown perception of the risk that is not actual... You know uh, tied to the data and not actually tied to data they will then reinforce those fears to the to the administration the administration being of the left they will then send back the signal we hear your fear we agree with your fear You're right to be afraid and it creates this loop yeah. right where they just keep reinforcing Positive each other
1: feedback loop yep. right
0: right and uh and that i think they a lot of them were afraid and they were looking to government to give them the answers and tell them that it was going to be okay. And I don't know if that's because they are of a political persuasion or if that mindset then kind of herds people into the political mindset, you know, or into the affiliation. I don't know if people who looked at the risks and said, oh, no, I'm never going to get COVID. I'm not going to. I'll be fine. I don't know if they thought that way because they were more conservative or vice versa. Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: which first, right. Yeah. You know, one of the first things I heard, real quick, um, early on, um, w- and it 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 just underscored my thought, which was take pre-existing drugs and start testing the heck out of if any of them have efficacy. And somebody did. Somebody did this ivermectin thing. Mm-hmm. And I saw him testify. I think it's in front of Congress.
0: Yeah. Uh, well. Uh, well. Uh, Peter. Doctor Peter McCulloch, He testified in front of the Texas State Senate. And okay. and, that, and I think that's probably what you're talking, uh, what, what you're thinking of, because there were so few examples of doctors that were actually called to testify to anybody to actually explain this stuff. And his point was, you know, doctors, they closed up shop, too. Right. Doctors offices closed down and they were treating people over Zoom calls and they were just saying, hey, if you get sick, stay home. Hope you hope it doesn't get worse. And if it does get worse, go to the hospital. But by then it's too late. And he said, we failed as doctors to treat the patient as they present themselves to us and when they present with certain symptoms we could have tried to address those with therapeutics right there and they didn't and that's why look i had this i had this very discussion last week i had a doctor's appointment on my that's why i took the day off because i had to fast for my doctor's appointment and my doctor asked me if i wanted the shot and the the booster and i said i think i'm off the train and we proceeded to have like a 15 minute conversation with me and my boxers about how uh, I, like I'm not, I'm not on board anymore. And they kept trying to convince me to get on board, and I, uh, like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to. And, yeah. and I I'm said there were all sorts of reasons for it. Um, I appreciate the advice, but I, at this point, I'm not going to take it. So,
1: yeah. I mean, heck, my wife got it, and I was at, at that point, um, just like I didn't even wear a mask around her. I'm like, you know what? If I get a cold, I'll get a cold, and I'll get over it.
0: Or you'll die. Right. I mean, like, and look, I mean, that is the I mean, that is the uh, one of the risks associated with covid is more comorbidities you have, the more likely you are to perish from it. Right. That is mm-hmm. that is a reality as well. No, I don't know yeah. how many we are talking because of the data with, you know, COVID, right. uh, died with covid died from yeah. covid, all of that stuff. But it is obviously one of the one of the potential downsides. And what the uh, the promoters of the the shots will say is that get the shot, and then the risk of you dying will be much less. But then you also have the people on the the anti-shot side who are saying, yeah, but those shots also produce other side effects. See, so again, it comes down to risk assessment, your own risk assessment, yeah, and everybody has sure. to make these decisions for themselves. And if you think you got the comorbidities, I did when, I, when uh, they first got the, uh, the shots. I took the first two, mm-hmm. yeah. but I didn't, take, uh, I didn't take any more boosters. I mean, I let go of 90 pounds on PhD weight loss and nutrition. I don't right. have the same comorbidities any longer. Yeah. So that's me. Yeah. yeah. Mark, I appreciate the call, sir. Okay. All right. Yeah. Take it easy, bud. Um, yeah. And again, I'm not advocating for you to do or not do anything. I'm not mad at anybody who chooses something different than I chose for myself. Why would I be? I don't yell at people about the flu shot. Why would I yell at them (laughs) about this? Right? People make their own choices. But that's me. I'm a live and let live kind of guy. Or live and let live for a little bit longer than you die kind of guy. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) But still, just for the record, no third eye from the shot yet. I have not. And I I thought for sure I was going to get a third eye. I was kind of looking forward to it. Not sure what happened there. Somebody dropped the ball. So Chris. Yeah, Chris has written me an email that says, Pete. Please refrain from addressing Dr. Fauci as the science. Dr. Fauci referred to himself as science. No, the in there. So just in the future, call him science. (laughs) He is. So it's uh, Dr. Anthony Science Fauci. Well, maybe that was his confirmation name. Like, it wasn't his middle name at birth, like, assigned to him, like gender is, you know? But it was—maybe it was. he took it upon confirmation. I don't even know. Is he Catholic? Like, you take a confirmation? Whatever. I thought he called—I thought he said, they're really going after the science, and you're attacking me, you're attacking the science. I always like—just because it sounds like a wrestler name, you know? In this corner— we have Dr. Anthony the Science Fauci. And I'm not going to say that thing that they say before the boxing matches, because that'll get me sued, and I'll have to pay that guy. What's his face? I'll have to pay him a lot of money. What's the guy who's, who says the thing? Uh, yeah, like I don't even want to say his name. I, if I say his name, he says, you know, we should be prepared to fight. He says something along those lines, but with different words, and he does it in a da da da, da like that. And I, I, I've already said too much. I probably, I probably owe him like $6 million already, just like that. That's how it happens. All righty, so this study on the, uh, published in The Lancet on the efficacy of natural immunity acquired when you get sick from COVID versus a double dose of the mRNA shot, right? The study finds, and by the way, I should point out that hybrids were not included, so a hybrid is me. I'm a hybrid. Uh, I run on both gas and electricity. I run on them both. That's what that means. Uh, No, a hybrid is someone who got the original two doses and then got COVID, (laughs) which kind of indicated to me that, uh, hey, this actually might not prevent infection after all. So you get the double dose, but then you get COVID. So now I kind of would, I would corrupt the, uh, the data, right? If they're trying to, If they're trying to put me into the group to find out, do I have lasting, durable um, protection against the most severe outcomes, death or hospitalization, they would not know how to attribute my lack of hospitalization or death, right? Because they could say, well, you got COVID, so that gave you that immunity. Or they could say, oh, you had the two doses, so that gave you the immunity or the, uh, the protection, I should say. Because it's obviously not immunity, right? It's just protection at this point now. Because, again, virus is virus. This is what they do. So, as I said earlier, this seems to me to be sort of like a win for both camps. Because on the one hand, you had people who were saying, you know, I'll just take my, uh, I'll take my chances with it. Which, by the way, for really young kids, right, for, for, for children and for uh, college-age kids, young adults, right... That was never an at-risk population. And that was really my focus at the beginning of it was when they came out with the shots, my focus was, why are we not essentially quarantining the most vulnerable and the sick? That's that you protect the most vulnerable, right? The elderly, those with comorbidities, right? If you've got those types of problems uh, that, that would make this uh, you know, a worse outcome for you, then yes, you should be taking different steps than somebody who is young and healthy. That doesn't mean every young and healthy person that got it survived. Some died from it. Some die from the flu every year. It's true. And luckily, it didn't have as negative an impact on younger people as it did on older people. God, I could only imagine the the craziness if if children were catching it and dying from it, like at a scale that we saw the elderly, right? I could. I can only imagine... It would be so much worse. Um, but the fact that they were prioritizing different groups to get the shots over other groups and that sort of thing. And then, of course, came the mandates, which I opposed all the mandates because I know somebody. I know a couple people, actually, that got COVID in the initial wave, got really sick and had a long COVID. And their doctors told them, do not get the shots. Because we don't know what the shots are going to do to you, because once again, it's battlefield medicine. And by the way, when I told my doctor that very quote, they did not agree with me because they said the technology has been around for a decade. I said, I'm aware of that, but I also am aware that it's never been tested at a human level at at the scale that they did this. And so when a doctor says, hey, you know what? You shouldn't take that shot because you got long COVID and an employer says, we know better than your doctor. We know better than you. We're going to force you to take this this drug which when people say oh it's an experimental drug, I agree. I agree. But again, we're practicing battlefield medicine or we are not. And see when if if you adopt the idea, the theory that we are, then any doctor that's putting together some cocktail of drugs and throwing it at a patient to try to relieve their symptoms and oh look at this, this has this has positive outcomes. Why would we not try to spread that message? But instead, well, what did we see? Right? We got the backlash. Oh, they were telling you to eat horse pace. Inject the, ble- the bleach and sunlight into your veins or whatever. Like, just utter stupidity. I, I am, like, North Carolina uh, moved forward with the, uh, the free to choose, right? This idea where, uh, or sorry, free to try, uh, free to try, right? Where... If the, and, and Trump uh, uh, backed this at, at the national level, right? This idea that if you have some serious or terminal disease, you should be free to try whatever works. And I agree with that. Because if your prospects for survival are so very low, you're basically like giving yourself over to science to say, use me, maybe you can save somebody else's life. And I find that to be honorable, that you're going to submit yourself to these unknown drugs, these tests, and maybe we can figure something out, right? That's been my approach to it. And so when you got a doctor, was it the the, uh, Zelensky protocol, not the Ukrainian guy, but it was was a doctor, right, named Zelensky who came up with this cocktail of drugs, different measurements or whatever, or or, uh, doses, of uh, different drugs and put them together in a cocktail and said, we're seeing positive outcomes from this and people being able to uh, overcome COVID once infected. But for some reason, it was like, oh, wow, you got COVID. Stay home, drink lots of fluids. Oh, you're going to feel bad. You're going to feel bad. Oh, you're feeling worse. You're feeling worse. Oh, my gosh, you got to go to the hospital. Now you're dead. Why did why was that the approach taken? It didn't make sense to me then. It still doesn't make sense to me now, except for fear, except people were really afraid. And some people may have used it, obviously, you got you know, if they're like, we're going to focus everybody to get the the vaccines developed, all these shots developed and roll out this new technology while we're in crisis, because we could never get it done without this crisis. I understand that argument, that theory. It's possible, too, I guess. But I think most people, and I'm talking like at the clinical level, at the doctor level, you know, when I went to to try to get a physical, try to get your regular screenings, right? This was another part of it. You show up for a regular screening and you can't get in because the doctor's office is closed because they're terrified. Or maybe they're afraid of being sued if somebody has COVID and then everybody gets COVID and then people die in the clinic or something. I don't know. But there was never an accounting on the other side of the ledger and the freaking media that sat through two years of news conferences with my good friend Ray Cooper up there. And nobody ever asked. Nobody ever asked about the other side of the ledger. The people that missed screenings. The people that got uh, delayed, and therefore their cancers were not caught, right? These serious diseases were not caught, and they died. What was the trade-off? Because there was a trade-off. There was a trade-off. See, this is a very complex topic, and so I can see all of these different questions, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pushing any of these theories or uh, conclusions on you or on anybody. I'm just, I'm, asking, I'm just asking the questions. No, I'm just asking. Why wasn't that ever part of this analysis? And I suspect the answer is politics. All right. I got a couple of tweet uh, messages here. This one's from Ruff. Uh, from, Ruff from Russ. Russ. There we go. On immunity. Purely anecdotal. He says, but I visit dozens of clients each week. I only bring up COVID or vaccination status if they do because it's none of my business. Last week, I talked to four people who have just gotten over their third or fourth round of COVID. All had been vaccinated, at least one booster. In all, I have heard from at least 20 vaxxed people with multiple infections. I see news stories of people getting it again, but have never talked to an unvaxxed person that got it again. Um, And then along those same lines, uh, the Hellion says that, uh, according to this uh, study, they can't even really say that it lessens severity as some get COVID and never even know it. I'm 51 and I'm never taking another mRNA anything ever again. And I wish I wouldn't have taken three. Um, Well, again, well, keep in mind, right? The risk assessment has to change depending on your health status and your age. That is one of them, right? So as you get older, um, you start doing things. And then it's like, I remember here, was it? Um, I forget where I heard it. Somebody was Somebody was telling me about how like this, their friend is you know in their 80s or 90s or something like that, and they're like, "Oh, I gotta go and get my flu shot or something." But they're in they're in like uh, the the rest home or something. It's kind of like, why why are you taking these batteries <laughs> this battery of of shots? Like, what? Yeah, well, I don't know actually. Why am I still doing this? Right? People make different decisions at different points in their life, and um, that's your choice, right? Everyone's free to choose. Um, on the anecdotal side, uh, and obviously this is just anecdotal, um, people who get reinfected—if you—if you never got the shots and then you did get COVID and it was bad, or even if it wasn't bad—but then you know later on, like I would submit that your—if you get sick again, you get a cold or something, you are not going and testing yourself for COVID. I—I I, I assume that the people who did not get the shot are not running around testing themselves for COVID. I just assume that. So they would never know how many times they get it. And there are people who get, you know, the two shots and then every single booster. And any time they get any kind of illness, they go out and test themselves all the time. And like I had, we know somebody who keeps testing themselves. And for the love of me, just stop testing yourself so much. If you're sick, stay home. Which, by the way, that has been a good development in all of this, is that people are now less likely to come to work and infect me when they're sick. And that's really what it's about. I mean, for me, it's <laughs> so you don't show up and cough all over me. Like, oh, I'm t- I come to work even when I'm sick. Okay. Well, you're an idiot. Stop coming to work when you're sick. I don't want what you've got. Um, Another question. Does it affect the likelihood of reinfection? We'll, we'll find out, I guess over the long term. right? Back to this uh, NBC story. Um, the, senior study author Dr. Christopher Murray, the director of the Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington, said, "Quote, this is really good news in the sense that protection against severe disease and death after infection is really quite sustained at 10 months." The findings may be a small silver lining to the explosive Omicron outbreak of last winter. I said it when I got Omicron last winter. I said, if you're going to get one, this is the one to get. It's the mildest one to get. And I was. it was like a year after I'd gotten the first uh, uh, shots. And so then I got Omicron, and I was like, okay, I should be good to go for a little while. And as long as the virus keeps virusing, and it keeps mutating, and it keeps you know getting more transmissible but less lethal, which is apparently what it's been doing, that's a pretty good thing. I actually talked to a doctor he, uh, over the weekend who— um, travels to all these different uh, clinics and hospitals. And I believe he said he was in radiology and he said he sees patients from the, from the very beginning when they first start presenting to the very end. And he said there was one person in an ICU in the South Carolina hospital area where he was working one that he was aware of at the time. So again, it's about risk assessment. It's about an understanding of the data. Like people, uh, People of the left think that your chance of dying is like 50-50. Democrats think your chance of dying if you get COVID is about 50-50. And it's not. It's it's like 1% or 2%. It's so it is so very small. It is such a small risk for most people. Not everybody. But now, some people on the right, Republicans, they think it's like zero. <laughs> it's not zero. Which is, that's the trade-off here. That's the decision we're all, you're looking at the data and you're saying, okay, what are my chances of dying from covid versus what are my chances of developing any kind of complications from the shots these are my choices you don't know you have to you're going to have to gamble right you got to you got to make whatever choice is best for you uh, but the experts still stress that vaccination is the preferable route to immunity given the risks of covid particularly in unvaccinated people the study author said yeah you could say i'm going to get infected to get immunity but you might be one of the people that end up dying from it that's right That's the other side of the ledger. That's the other side of the equation. So they say, why would you take that risk when you can get the immunity through the shots? Those are our choices, people. I don't like it any more than you.